I was thinking earlier today of how one of the things church will often say is how they just wish we were more like the early church. I mean, it's like, can't we just get back to what it was like in Acts 2 with the early church? And, and one of the things that happened with the early church um, is this thing called the diaspora, which is basically the church got to a point of health where it was too healthy um, to stay in one place and persecution broke out. And basically what happened at that point is that the church was split into thousands of house churches all over Asia, all over Europe, and eventually all over the world. Um, and it was actually a point where the church didn't lose who it was. Um, it actually found who it was. Um, um, Rose, always so disruptive during sermons. Um, um, and, um, and so I just think this is actually a moment where um, the church is going to find itself in a new way. Like, I actually think we're supposed to be house church. Um, and I think that um, we are supposed, uh, I think this is a moment right now where we are finding out whether what we've spent the last few years on was creating an event or whether it was actually being a community and being the people of God. And those who have been creating an event are about to have a rude awakening. Um, but those who have been the community of God are about to find that depth of community in a whole new way. Um, so I actually think it's a, it's a really exciting moment. Um, and, um, and so I was uh, thinking a question I've been asking myself during this time of lockdown um, is this, and it may be one you want to ask yourself, and it is, how is Jesus going to transform you in this moment in a way he couldn't in your day-to-day -day life? So how is Jesus going to transform you in this moment in a way he couldn't in your day-to-day -day life? Like, God is offering you an opportunity right now, uh, four weeks here, where life looks profoundly different to what you normally know how it is, and he is holding out the opportunity to you to go on a pilgrimage with him and to not be the same people in four weeks or three weeks or potentially eight weeks or 12 weeks that you are now. This is a possibility for transformation in our lives. Um, and the, the content I'm going to share tonight, the next seasonal guide that comes out will be centered around this stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so one of the things um, that, that I do a few times a year is I often go on a retreat um, and I'll go to somewhere like Nazi Hour, but normally I only have about three days to do that. Uh, and so what will happen generally, the way that a retreat for me goes at Nazi Hour, is I arrive there and then I just sleep for probably about 18 to 24 hours, like I'm just exhausted. So day one I arrive, then I sleep through to about midday on day two. Um, it's a piece of advice I've been given by a spiritual director is whenever you go on a retreat, start by sleeping until you can't sleep anymore. He says it's the most powerful form of spiritual warfare is to stop being tired. Um, so I'll sleep through to the middle of day two. Um, and then, um, oh, whoops, what's happening here? Um, <laughs> I know, can you still see me or not? Someone's sharing their screen. Alessandra, could you stop sharing your screen a moment? Cool, thank you. Um, so I'll go on these retreats and I'll be, um, yeah, into day two, wake up around midday, and then I maybe have two or three hours where me and God do real business. And then around about three or four in the afternoon, I realise, because I'm a bit of a workaholic, that I'm about to go back to work in 12 hours and I just start scheming new ideas and I'm kind of like out the gate. I've got one foot out of Natsiawa already. And so for me, um, the retreat thing is always a little bit um, conflicted uh, because 
I struggle to be totally present to it. Um, but a few years ago, um, I did this European pilgrimage that will remain nameless. Um, um, and, uh, and Anna and I had started out on this European pilgrimage, this nameless European pilgrimage. And um, we were about three days into it. And I was like, yeah, this is really cool. This is really great, man, I could do this forever. And then at about a week into it, I had the sudden realization that God was moving in me and speaking to me in this powerful way, uh, but that I was gonna be stuck there for another 30 days. So that I, would, I wouldn't be able to put one foot out the door because the journey that God had begun in me was gonna go 30 days deeper than I'd ever gone before. I was like, oh shit, like, this is serious, you know? Um, and, um, and, and, and I think this is kind of the moment we find ourselves in right now, is if you want to go deep with God during this time, you know, we are actually only at day four um, out of 28, and it could be more. And so if you begin to go deep with Jesus now and you invite Jesus to journey with you in a way that you have not journeyed with him in a long time to make space, you will go deeper than you have gone before. And there's this really interesting scriptural um, idea or precedent is that change happens on the road. Change happens on the road. Um, in, the, in the discomfort of dislocation and the places where we've lost our identity um, and the end of regularity and captivity, change happens on the road. And a lot of the stories of profound change that we see in the scriptures are stories um, that take place between two places where people feel uncomfortable um, and when they feel dislocated and unsure who they are and what their surroundings are, and then suddenly God shows up in a way that God hasn't showed up in their lives before. So I just want to share today um, three quick ideas on what this next sort of 25, 24 days could look like for us if we allow Jesus to really get us in the midst of it. And the first scripture I want to reference is from Acts 9. And Acts 9 is this uh, story of a man named Saul and Saul, um, you know, who would later become Paul, is a devoutly religious man. And he is, um, he's walking, he's riding his way down to this town called Damascus. Um, and he's been out killing Christians um, and, uh, and persecuting Christians because they're coming against the religion which he is so passionate about. And sometimes I think with, with Saul, we, one of the things we forget is we think he's just a really evil guy who just wanted to be really awful to everybody. But what we need to remember is that Saul was actually profoundly devout. He was actually a really, really faithful man to his religion. So what he thought he was doing was being faithful. What he thought he was doing was serving God. And then what happens in this Acts 9 passage is he suddenly struck off his horse and he sees Jesus standing in front of him. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, he has to realize that the very God he thought he was serving is the God he is killing. The very God he thought he was serving is a God who he has been killing and his followers. Now, something I remember a few years ago, I, I, used, to be, um, I used to be in a new metal band, um, a really good new metal band. Um, and we used to play Rage Against the Machine covers um, and we'd change them out to like, you know, Christian words. So um, killing in the name of was praying in the name of. It was like beautiful new metal band. And we'd been really coming up in the scene. Um, we got flown down to Dunedin to play Dunedin's biggest Christian music festival. Oh my gosh, it was just massive. Um, and, uh, and, and we'd been going for a while. And then all of a sudden, 
um, these three young women put together a punk band and immediately they were way better than us. And I was just so pissed off, eh? We had been working so hard to be the best and, and they were just way better than us. And, um, and so I, in, in my kind of insecure 19, 20-year-old ways, I don't have any insecurity now, it was all back then, um, but in my insecure 19, 20-year-old days, I, um, I, I started trashing them around town. And I remember being at Blueprint one night and worship was happening and all of a sudden I had this realisation um, that, um, that the God I thought I was serving, I'd actually been trashing. The God I thought I'd actually been serving, I'd been trashing in the, in the hearts um, and in the faces of other people. And so what I felt convicted to do is immediately I picked up the phone after that service and I called each girl in that band one by one and confessed and asked for forgiveness. And it was just awful. Um, but, but there is this thing, when Jesus turns up, when Jesus turns up, there is often a realisation of repentance and that the God we thought we were serving is not the God we've been serving at all. And that's what happens to Saul on the road is all of a sudden he realises the one he thinks he's been serving is the one he's actually been killing. And so what often happens on the road and the dislocation and the loss of identity and the not sure where we are, what happens on those big 30, 40 day long journeys with Jesus is suddenly we realise the things we thought were pure and the things we thought were holy were not and God calls us to repentance. So the first point is the road to nowhere often leads us to repentance. That's the road we want to go on. The second passage I want to call your attention to is from Exodus 6, and it is when, uh, when the Israelites are finally freed from Egypt. Um, and they end up going on this journey to the promised land. And this journey to the promised land, I don't know how many of you know this, but it's actually 11 days by foot. And you will probably know it took 40 years for them. So the question you ask is, well, what the heck were you doing for the other 39.9 years um, when, when you were doing this 11-day journey? So why did God take them on this journey that was so indirect, that went round and round and round? And it kind of comes up in Leviticus 9 and a number of places where God says to them, you will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. And so there was this thing of the promised land, this place they wanted to walk into. They wanted hope and they wanted healing. But God knew that if they were not transformed to learn how to obey him, then when they received the promised land, they would poison it and they would make it a new form of slavery. So he had to teach them to be his people before they could inherit what he had to give to them. You know, a few years ago, um, when uh, it would have been about eight or 10 years ago, uh, I had the experience of dropping into a really um, deep time of depression and anxiety. And I know that that's an experience many of us um, in this church have experienced too. And one of the first things that happened to me in that moment was that my emotional range just kind of just totally squashed and I couldn't really feel anything. I felt numb. The challenge of that time was that I uh, come from a Pentecostal background and I actually didn't know how to hear God aside from my feelings. Um, like I had sort of learned that the way you hear God is in your gut. You hear God in your feelings. And, and, and that's true. That is true. Um, but uh, what happened is that those feelings suddenly became an um, unreliable source for me to hear and obey God. And suddenly I had to learn to obey God um, as if God was just a reality I couldn't sense but I knew was there. And the best way I can think of to describe it is that God became like gravity to me. 
that I don't really feel much about gravity, but I see its presence constantly. Mm. I don't actually have a choice whether I believe in gravity or not. You know, I don't love gravity, but it's there. And in that time, I wasn't able to love God, but there was a profound sense that, that God was there and God was with me. And so those roads, um, the road to nowhere often leads us to a place of new obedience, of learning how to follow God in a different way to the way we've followed him before. You know, some of you, you, um, you haven't realized, but your work or your study is where you put your identity. And in the space of a 30 to 40 day journey with Jesus, suddenly he is able to put his finger on that and go, you're not going to know me in that way anymore. You're going to learn to obey me in a whole other way. So the road to nowhere, it leads us to repentance first. Secondly, it leads us to obedience. And then the final passage I want to bring you to is Luke 24, uh, 13 to 35. And there are these two men who are walking down a road the day or two after Jesus has died. And they're just absolutely crestfallen. They're absolutely broken. They believe that this Messiah would be the one who finally walked them into freedom, who finally vanquished the, the Roman invaders, and, and he would finally bring them liberation and the salvation that, that they had dreamed of. And then he'd been killed, but not only killed, but killed in the most humiliating way possible that was normally reserved for the most vile criminals. And they're walking along, and they're deep in their grief, and then alongside them comes this man, and he says, what are you talking about? And they say, well, you know, Jesus, he was, he was crucified. And he says, no, I haven't heard about that. Um, and it's ridiculous. Everyone heard about it. It would be like us meeting someone and, and them saying, um, hey, have you heard about COVID? What COVID? Who's in lockdown? Where? You know, everybody knew about this thing. This man didn't know. And so they begin to tell him the story of deep grief and of deep pain that they feel, that, um, that the whole dream has fallen apart, this moment of pain that they're in. And then this man begins to unpack a much bigger story than the small story that they're telling each other. And he begins at Genesis, and he talks about how God created the heavens and the earth. And then he talks about Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And then he talks about God's faithfulness that led them out of Egypt. And then, he, and then he talks about the reign of David and he talks about the minor prophets and he talks about exile and this promise of a Messiah. And he tells this whole big story and suddenly their story of pain starts to look a lot smaller in the midst of this big story. And then as a final way of telling that big story, he does the Eucharist with them, what we call the Eucharist. He breaks bread and he hands some wine. And in that moment, they realize this man is actually Jesus who has been talking to them. And what he does in this moment is Jesus invites them to trade their little painful story for his much bigger story of what he is doing in the earth, of what he is doing in the world. And that is the opportunity we have at this moment is maybe you have been walking for a long time with a little story of pain. You know, as we were talking to Padre Gautuma the other week, he was talking about lazy stories and lazy language, you know, where we, we make something too small for what it is. And sometimes some of us walk with these kind of lazy, small, painful stories, but God wants to invite us into a much bigger narrative, the big story of redemption um, that he is up to in the world. And the other part I love in this passage is that as soon as Jesus breaks the bread and they realize who he is, he just disappears as he does. And, uh, and then they say, I think that was Jesus. And the other one says, you know, I think you're right. Didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't our hearts burn within us? They said it must have been Jesus because our hearts were on fire 
around him. And I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Rose and I got to meet up um, or go to this workshop with this amazing guy, the Archbishop of York, um, John Sentamu. And he's a Ugandan man. Um, and he's been an incredible Archbishop in the UK. Uh, when Robert Mugabe was still in power in Zimbabwe, he um, publicly took off his priest collar and he cut it up. And he said, I will not put on a collar again until Mugabe is out of power. And so I was really excited to meet this guy. Um, and I was like, man, he is going to be such a legend theologian. He is just going to have the best, like the best understanding. And, you know, I was ready with all my complicated, complicated questions. And we're in this room of about 20 people. And every time we ask a complicated question, basically what it would come back down to is him just saying, isn't Jesus just wonderful? <laughs> isn't he wonderful? And it's like he has gone on this long journey with God and he's learned all the theology and he's a really smart guy and he's this amazing activist. And when it all came down to it, all he would say was, isn't Jesus wonderful? Didn't, didn't my heart burn within me when I walked with him? And so I think part of the invitation for us on the road to nowhere is as we walk through this time of 25, 30 days, as Jesus draws alongside us, and one, he offers us the opportunity to have our little painful stories eclipsed in a bigger story. But also for those of us who have maybe forgotten how wonderful Jesus is, he says, I want to make your heart burn within you again. I want you to come alive. I want you to be revived. I want your heart to burn again for me. And so three things for today I, I want to put in, in front of you. We sit at this road to nowhere, and there's that question. Will you allow Jesus to take you on a transformational journey over this next time? Will this be a pilgrimage that you go on? And on that road that we go on, the invitations are, firstly, repentance. is to realize where we thought we were serving God, but actually we were killing him. Yeah. Secondly, obedience, uh, to realize the the. The, um, to become the people of God and for him to become our God so that we can inherit what he has for us without making it a new form of slavery. And then thirdly, for us to feel Jesus coming alongside us, to have our little stories eclipsed in his big story. Um, and further to that, for us to say, Lord, would you make our hearts burn within us again? Would you make our hearts burn within us again? So in a moment, we, I think, are going to break off into small groups. I'm not sure if some, probably anyone who doesn't have one will just stay here. Is that right, Rose? Cool. So someone will stay here, and anyone who wants a small group and doesn't have one, just hang in here, and the rest will leave. Um, but I just want to um, uh, allow us two or three minutes silence to reflect on those three things. Of, uh, the road to nowhere leads to repentance. The road to nowhere leads to obedience. And the road to nowhere... Uh, leads to our hearts burning within us and thinking how wonderful is Jesus. Um, so I'm going to leave a moment of silence and then I'll pray to wrap us up. Um, Lord, would you come now? Would you speak? Lord, would you convict us where we are to repent? Um, would you draw us in where we are to obey? Lord, would you come alongside us and would our hearts burn within us again? Lord, we open ourselves. We want to go on a transformational journey with you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now.